Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. So, is it a case of what might have been for England as they end their World Cup campaign with back-to-back wins? And uh, what now for the white ball side as Josh Butler captains the tour of the West Indies next month? We'll have a look at the squads, which uh, were named for that, and we'll speak to England fast bowler John Turner. Former South African all-rounder Sean Pollock joins us to look ahead to the Cricket World Cup semi-finals India facing New Zealand and South Africa playing Australia. Sri Lankan cricket writer Rex Clementine joins us uh, to react to the news that the Sri Lankan cricket board has been suspended by the ICC and uh, will pay tribute to Australian legend Meg Lanning, who announced her retirement this week. So as always, plenty to come over the next hour. You're listening to The Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2. So England win... Back-to-back games, Harmy, and I mentioned there that uh, it's a case of what might have been, but I don't, I don't feel that. I feel like it's more a case of what was because they didn't lose narrowly. They lost heavily. They lost repeatedly. They lost unconvincingly, and I don't find the experience was sweetened by two victories over the Netherlands and Pakistan at the end. Yeah, I know what you mean. I think for you, when you say what might have been, I think you can you can say that at Ben. And say if we had Ben Stokes and he hadn't been injured for the first three games, possibly what might have been, he might have hauled them into a point of, well, we might not be playing very well, but I'm going to to keep us in the competition. But I think from a team point of view, no, I I don't think you can say what might have been. We've we've covered a lot about preparation and about team selection, about everything that's happened. But at the end of the day, the players have got to take responsibility that they weren't good enough in this tournament. And it's it's as simple as that. So... Yes, they played well at the back end when the pressure had been alleviated of qualification. But they know, they know. The, the good thing I, I've enjoyed about this campaign is senior players, when they've come into the media, they've took responsibility. You know, Ben Stokes said it wasn't very good. Josh Butler constantly in his press conferences said we weren't good enough. Moen Ali came out and said it's not been good enough. So they're not hiding away from it. They've owned it. And unfortunately for, for some of them, that's the last hurrah in 50-over cricket. Some of them, that's the last hurrah in, in white ball cricket. And it's, it's time to move on now. The World Cup's gone. You know, you can have your post-mortem, but from an honest assessment, it wasn't good enough. And, you know, we, we move on 
in a natural progression because some players have you know fallen by the wayside, some are going to retire, some have got just too old. And I think unfortunately that a combination is why England came out came home from the World Cup early. You missed out uh, Mark Wood there, who made a he gave a, a couple of impassioned interviews yeah. as well. Like as you said. You know, he said, we're trying. It's bitterly disappointing. Uh, you know, we're, it's it's not like uh, we're not putting in the effort. But um, let's move on to Rob Key. I'm I'm staggered. Uh, he appears to have learned absolutely nothing about administration uh, in the time that he's been in charge. I mean, what on earth is he doing accepting responsibility and saying, blame me? Does he not understand anything about administration now? There's a tried and trusted format for a crisis in English cricket, and that's to blame county cricket and then move on to the next fire and try and put that out. I'm being yeah. facetious. But, yeah. you know, he, he said, he said, blame me. I put too much emphasis on test cricket. That's amazing, amazing sort of, as you say, accepting of responsibility. Yeah, I think there's also a realisation that what we've been saying for a couple of weeks now is that you can't, if you are, if you want the best teams in the if you want the best team in the world in a certain format, something's got to fall down. Unfortunately, the white ball 50 oversight is the one that fell down this time. He is a very, very honest guy, is Keezy. And I had a brief chat with him when he was in England a couple of weeks, about a week ago when I got first got to India. Nothing to do with cricket. I was, I was ringing him on a, on a different different subject. And he just talked basically as like we, we have done. We, we, he was honest about you know what he was saying and he's come out and said it in the media. So I'm not sort of giving away a trade secret. So he just said we, we, exactly what he said to the media. It was It's on him. You know, Matthew Martin and Josh Butler probably haven't had the, the chance. And now he's come out and said it. I can say it. He said that they're going to get the Caribbean and they're going to get the chance to rebuild and, and put the um, put the World Cup behind them, but also try and take ownership of this group now. It's their group now. It's not Owen Morgan's and Trevor Bayless's from 2019 World Cup. And it is largely down now to, to Josh Butler and, and Matthew Mott. So Keezy's right. I don't think we could have done anything better going into the World Cup because these were the circumstances we had. We had a ridiculous Ashes campaign. We had to build for that. We didn't win it. We should have. Um, and now the understanding of what happened in the World Cup from our preparation and you know got leading into it. I don't think it's anybody's fault. It's just it's just the, the way the ducks go in the ducks in a row go for for English cricket. And I'm pleased that they're not hiding away from it. And they're not shying away from it. Responsibility is there with the boss. He's the man in charge. He's the one that said to Ben Stokes, "You can have it. You know, whatever you want. Go to Pakistan. You know, playing in England. Be ready for the Ashes." Unfortunately, Joss's team has fallen down. So, I'm sure Joss will get his chance. But I'm pleased Keezy's owned it. Well, Rob Key also gave his full backing to Matthew Mott and explained that uh, he had had some difficult conversations with him over the course of uh, the time that he's been in charge of the One Day side. He's had to say, "I'm afraid you can't have." Joe Root, Johnny Bairstow, uh, and uh, all the other players, because we need them to play Test cricket. This was um, what Rob Key had to say about Joss Butler continuing as captain. You know, he's a young captain still. He's been around for a long time. He's the best player in the world, I think, in white ball cricket. All-round player. You know, he's one. Of, he's probably the best player we've ever had at this. Who's had a tough time in this tournament, but by no stretch do I think that he's done, and he won't get back to what he's done I think he'll be a better captain for this you know it's always the hard times that make you as a leader it's always those things and this is the first real tough time that he's had and I think he's going to be so much better for it so Matthew Mott and Josh Butler getting the full backing of um, England men's cricket director Rob Key 
there's a certain amount of irony. We'll discuss the squads for the West Indies in part two. But uh, England's two best players, one has retired from international cricket now, David Willey, and David Milan wasn't included in uh, the tour of the West Indies. David Willey uh, said uh, farewell to international cricket with some regrets. Looking back to being a kid, like I could only have dreamt of playing as many games of cricket for England, so I'm immensely proud of that. To be in a dressing room with so many quality players, I've been very fortunate to be a part of that um, and play my part in that. But, you know, at the same time, I'm, I'm sad. You know, I don't think anybody ever wants to walk away from playing for their country. It's all I ever wanted to do. But at the same time, you know, my timing of my announcement was so I could enjoy my last three games, and I've very much done that. And my time is done because I've called time on it. But, um, you know, it's with deep regret, I think. Um, you know, I think anybody looking in has probably looked at the way I've gone about my business and probably playing the best cricket of my career um, I'm 33 as fit as I've ever been so um, one of the reasons that I wasn't offered a contract was them going in a different direction after the World Cup I don't know why you know I've been told that they're likely to go in a different direction you know I think that was the final nail in the coffin for me I think um, yeah look I think I could still be in a, played a part in that World Cup I feel like I'm playing my, probably playing my best cricket so that was part of my decision making um, with my family but you know it's it's been a period for some time now like I've just touched on not knowing quite where I stand with England and it's just just taken its toll and do I want to go to the Caribbean and, and run drinks and not know where I stand and just feel like a a third wheel again which is very much what I felt like when I turned up at Lords um, being the only one without a contract probably not so I'm done. David really uh, reflecting on uh, his, some would say, prematurely ended international career. So uh, a challenge then, Harmi, as I said, we'll talk about the actual squads in part two. But uh, Rob Key, he knew the job would be difficult. He had a not only a very successful beginning to his tenure, but there was a kind of fairy tale aspect to it, wasn't there? And that is now very, very firmly over. He he knew it would be difficult, uh, and now it is. Yeah, he always knew it was it was going to be difficult, and, and it was difficult. It, it has been difficult at the start. It has been difficult during the during the Ashes, you know, during the during Pakistan. All these times, a job like that, it's not so much a difficult job. It's a thankless job. It's a job that if you if you do well, you know, everybody wants to applaud you on the back. If you get knocked out of World Cup halfway through the competition, then. It's not a great job. It, it isn't. And forget about how much it's paid or, you know, what kudos you've got in the game. When you're trying to make decisions for the best of English cricket, for the best of human beings, he's such a great man in, in, a, in a human way, which you know, he, he understands, he gets people's feelings. He's not cold. You know, he might come across as the larrikin, but he's got a warm heart as, as Rob. And he's somebody who, you know, the, the decision on David Willey would have been wouldn't have been taken lightly. It wouldn't have, it would have been taken with a heavily on on his shoulders, understanding that he's got to go to the World Cup. But unfortunately, the decision going forward, he didn't feature. He he only he only features in white ball cricket, and with the World Cup around the corner for 2020, does he feature in that? Probably not. If we get our best team, and then the 50 over World Cup is in four years' time. Is he going to be around? Is he going to be around in two years' time? The Champions Trophy, so. I could understand that contract, but that would have been so heavy on, on Kesey more than anything else because he cares. 
And that's that's the thing that when Keezy took the job, I'm pleased England have now got somebody a bit like it. And Ash, Ashley Giles is more Giles a great man, but Giles was a yeah, there was a steel determination of not coldness, but he could make a decision and I and I think he could move on from that decision quite comfortably. Not in a cold way, but a calculated way. Where Keezy's a he's a carer more than anything else. And I think decisions like David Bullies and one or two more, that's where he would say that the, the job's difficult. Making decisions on you know, where they go, how they play, and, and, and all the like. That, for me, is not a difficult decision for, for Rob Key. I think he's he's quite comfortable doing that. I think some of the, the, the sort of more, the more passionate decisions, the more human that affects people's lives, I think that's that's something that he probably will find hard. Yeah, he did say that he would make the same decision again. And um, David Willey said in his final press conference that he didn't feel valued by England over the years, and uh, he was the fall guy, as we mentioned last week. Okay, more on the the squads and Rob Key's responsibilities as uh, managing director of England men's cricket in part two. Uh, For now, you're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And a reminder, the TalkSport cricket team have launched a brand new YouTube channel. It'll have uh, huge interviews, live commentary, and uh, regular shows. On the channel this week, week uh, we've got an exclusive interview with England great Stuart Broad. In this clip, he admits to regretting that remarkable rant on live TV after he was dropped from the test side at the start of the 2020 summer. At no stage when I was doing it was I thinking, this is wrong, or, or I was just saying how I felt. But looking back now, I wouldn't have done that because I, I think it probably was unfair on my teammates and the guys that were playing the game. But it did strengthen my resolve. It did make me really determined to prove people wrong. And I ended up having a fantastic summer off the back of being missing out that first game. And the other way that I'm not too disappointed with it is sometimes sports interviews with current players are so dull. It's very much, oh, no, looking forward to the next game. We'll take the momentum forward. And at least I was honest. At least I sort of poured my heart out a little bit. Maybe too honest, but I'll never regret speaking my mind, because I think ultimately fans do like to see that. And a reminder that you can hear the full interview on the TalkSport Cricket YouTube channel on the following on podcast feed. It was quite a moment, wasn't it, Harmy? It was uh, during COVID. And I remember, I mean, I happened to be watching it live at the time. And it was, um, it, it wasn't a rant. I called it a rant. It was far more controlled and clinical than just a, a, any old rant, wasn't it? I mean, he really did get, get his feelings off his chest and in a very organised manner. Yeah, he knew what he was saying, he knew what he was doing, and he was it was of a man who I think was, right, I'm not playing in the next five days, I'm going to have to sit carrying drinks in a hotel room with a no crowd. It, that's not me, do you know what I mean? So I was disappointed in it when he when he did it because of the ramifications it probably had on the bowling attack that he when he was talking about it. I think Mark Wood was in there. He obviously, you got Jimmy Anderson, Chris Wokes, one or two others. And it was a lot about Stuart rather than about the group and the team. And when he did say what he said, I thought, I wonder if he does regret that it, it, later down the line. If somebody does, his great mate, Jimmy Anderson, pulls him up on it um, and has a go at him about it because he was he was having a go at the team as well as all the other bowlers and passionately wanting to play a game of cricket because he was desperate to play for England. So I think taking over 600 wickets. I think we let him off for just one little rant. But it was great. It's a great interview. Got to, got to get him watch it. It was a good interview by John Norman. Obviously, he's pushing his book as Brody. He's going to be 
fantastic in the broadcasting world. He knows what he's saying. He's very, very good at what he says. Very calculated, understanding what he's trying to say, Stuart. Um, but I think this one just got away from him. And I think it was largely down to the fact that in empty stadium, it's in COVID. I've got to do five five days of carrying drinks. And I think that all came out in that one interview, unfortunately. OK, I mentioned uh, David Milan not being selected for the Tour of the Caribbean. This was him reflecting on that decision. I guess I'm in a unique situation, being the second oldest in this team. Um, you know, I don't know what my future holds, whether that be my choice or the team's choice. Um, uh, you know, after this tournament, probably have a bit of reflection and see where I'm at and and see um, what, what the future holds for me. But um, and we'll only find out, um, you know, when... I guess the dust settles. But if it was your choice, your you know this wearing the shirt is still still means a lot to you. Yeah, definitely. I, playing for England means everything for me. Um, you know, I've I've made no secret of that. I've I've always wanted to be part of this team and and play for England for as long as I can. But ultimately, you know, you get to a stage where you have to look um, a little bit further ahead and 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 what's best for maybe the team and what's best for everything else. So, yeah, we'll see where we end up. And just if, if there is a rebuild after this, as, there's like, as it's likely to be, do you think you would have something to contribute to a rebuild? Yeah, if, if, if that's what they want, if they want experience around, someone who's played quite a bit and, and played in the way that um, you know, the team wants to, to play, you know, I'd, I'd love to still be around and, and do it. But um, you know, as, as I said, when you get to this stage of being the second oldest, it's usually them that go first, regardless of, of results. And, um, you know, that's part and parcel of the game. That's England's uh, top run scorer at the World Cup, David Milan. He's not going to the Caribbean. There are so many questions uh, and talking points, Harmi, um, about this squad. Only six of the World Cup squad um, have been included in that tour to the Caribbean next month. As I said, Josh Butley carries on as captain. Liam Livingston is in both the T20 and the ODI squads. Um, there are a number of people who think he's quite fortunate to survive an axe, which seems to have been wielded uh, not arbitrarily, but um, not in a particularly controlled manner. I just think part of the problem, Army, comes down to the fact that when uh, 29 central contracts, and I can't help thinking that, you know, there was a certain amount of, um, well, we can't give him one if we don't give him one. And we can't give him a one year if we don't give him a one year. And he's been a loyal servant, so let's give him another year. And you've ended up with 29. And, you know, rather than having more money in the piggy bank to to pay players when as and when you need them, uh, you've ended up with 29 centrally contracted players who have, many of them, a right to believe that they would be selected for England. But, you, you know, you've ended up with a fraction of of the contracted players. And as I said, only six out of the World Cup squad. Yeah, I, I look at the contract situation and go, yeah, 29, that's that's a lot when you can only play 11 in one game. But I think when you, you look at, I don't mind the 29. It, it will make sense over the course of a 12-month period. If you're going to use, and you're, that's, that's you know, you're all 29. The worry for me is it's 29, but there's no Phil Salt he's probably going to play a lot of 50-over cricket for England going forward. And, you know, he's going to play a lot of white ball cricket for England going forward. Will Jacks didn't get a contract. That's the other one. So when you when you look at it, there's 31. But England are likely going to have to put a red ball and a white ball team out, coincide each other, because of the way the schedule works. So when you, when you, when you look at the amount of cricket that England play, you can understand the number being big from a centrally contracted point of view, as well as making sure that they you have got first refusal on them. They don't go and play franchise cricket. Or if they go and play franchise cricket, they go on your terms and not 
being loaned back or giving back where if and when suits. So I didn't have the problem with the amount of contracts because I think over 12 months it will make sense. I look at Milan's situation and it's a difficult one. He's still one of our best players. At the age he's at, are you looking beyond 2020s? That's probably his last competition, shall we say, in in the summer in the summer. And then he'll probably have to move on as well. Liam Livingston's very lucky, I think. He's very, very lucky. He's had a poor run of, of form over the course of the last you know, 12 months to, to 18 months. He's getting into the test squad. He's getting in 50 over competition squads. He's getting you know bilateral series of 50 and 20 over cricket. And he hasn't delivered on the potential that he's got. And he's 30 now. He's not... If he's 23, I'd go, yeah, fine. Keep Livingston going. He's got so much potential. But I think Liam's quite fortunate that that there are there are older than him having to having to finish and having to make weight. So the players that are are leaving England's white ball cricket are leaving because of age and they've been around a while. I think Liam, I think unless he puts performances in on the board, I think he could find himself moving on very, very quickly as well. Because like I said before, we've all talked about potential. But apart from one or two innings in the last couple of years. He hasn't really set the world alight, and he has got so much to give. He has got so much to give, and I and I really struggle to see how he's performing the way he's performing because he's unbelievable in the field. Uh, he's a, he's a wily, canny bowler, and he's he, he can be a destructive batter, but he he just hasn't shown it. So, I think for him to be in these squads, I think he's very very fortunate. The rest, I think it's it's right. I think they pick them pick themselves off the back of what happened in the summer. I'm pleased to see Turner and Tom going in 50 over cricket. Crowley's going to get his chance with Duckett, which is good in one sense, but not good in another sense. Because if you look at it long term, you're trying to get a 50 over side and a white ball side that doesn't cross over too much with a red ball side and don't have the problems that Rob Key is having, trying to give Ben Stokes what he wants and not giving Josh Butler what he wants. So we're going back to test players playing ODI cricket, and that could come back to bite them in the future. But at the end of the day, they're still our best players, so they should be playing. And it gives Pope, Holly and Ducker a chance to get some well time in the middle before they go to India. Because I've seen these Caribbean squads. I'm trying to work out this the, the, the squad that goes to India. And I've got no idea who's going to be in and who's going to be out when it comes to the balance of the side and trying to get three seamers, two spinners, top six batters, who's going to wait to keep? Is Ben going to be captain if he's not going to be captain? So there's going to be there's, there's huge issues coming from selection point of view further down the line for the India squad because you know how many of the tech there 15, 16, 17 players. It's gonna be it's gonna be so difficult to balance that group out. So I quite like this Caribbean squad. I think it's got a lot of youth, got a lot of change. Please butler's taking it. And I think the I think the six from this World Cup, I think it's it's right that they're going. The eye opener for me, the, the eyebrow raiser is is Liam Livingston and I think he's quite fortunate to be in that in that squad going forward. Okay, time now to hear from a man who is in both squads and will be spending his December in the Caribbean, Hampshire and England bowler, John Turner. So, John, thanks for joining us on TalkSport. You've been called up to the England squad for the ODIs and T20s. Firstly, just get your thoughts on the call-up itself. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Obviously, very excited to be called up after the disappointment of my injury in August when I was initially called up to quite nice to get the opportunity so soon again and hopefully actually be able to be fit to get selected this time. So no, I'm very excited for it and get out to the Caribbean and some fun. 
John, was it a surprise? Did you have any idea that it was coming? Obviously, the, the New Zealand series was you know, a great celebration when you got picked, but then disappointment of not being able to fulfill and get you know play in the series. Did they mention then that the Caribbean was was probably the next step in your development getting into the England side? I always knew there was a chance with the ODI squad. You never certain, but there were one or two conversations around the ODI squad. But the T20 squad was, that was a complete surprise for me. Being obviously initially selected in the T20 team, that initial selection was very surprising. But I was always expecting this Caribbean tour to be a prep tour basically for the World Cup. So I wasn't expecting to be involved um, to that degree. So yeah, quite surprised to be involved in both squads, to be honest. John, you look at the names in the squad, when people look through the list, not many people would have heard of John Turner. So let's take us back to the very start. Tell us a little bit about yourself. You were born in South Africa. And how did you get across from your education into playing for Hampshire? Yeah, so obviously born in South Africa, went to school in South Africa, only came over here beginning of 2021. So just as COVID was starting to lift, Goal was a way to come over here, go to university, trial at Hampshire, and then obviously pursue cricket and hope that I could make something of it and play international cricket. But obviously, I never expected it to be this quick. But yeah, so I haven't been in the UK for the longest of time, but uh, my mum's English, so I've got, got that from her um, and just fortunate to be given the opportunity by both Hampshire and now by England. And John, growing up, playing in, obviously, playing, you know, education years in South Africa. Well, were you always destined to be the, the quick bowler or was there a batter in there as well? We all think we can bat, but we can't. Um, but when you when you, you look back at it sort of coming through to 14 through to 17, uh, who were the influences? Um, I know you went to do you go to Hilton College? Uh yeah. So my somebody who I played nearly over 10 years with Dale Benkenstein, I think he was a, a coach at Hilton College. Who were the, the influences at that sort of level in South Africa that, that sort of helped you along the way? Um, so I said Hilton, probably all the coaches, but particularly Benke. Benke was our first team coach from when I was in grade nine to when I finished. So he was he was massive for me. Um, he was the initial contact between myself and Hampshire. So basically, if it wasn't for him, I probably wouldn't be here. I can say yeah, that. I, I, I can <laughs> say that sometimes as well, because he got me out a hell of a lot of trouble when my off-field antics didn't, uh, <laughs> didn't always go the way it should have gone, but he was he's a great man. Tell us more about, about Benke and about the way you know, he looked after it. Yeah, so he, he initially selected me in the first team in grade nine, which at that time, it was myself and a guy, another guy called Michael Booth, who's now at Warwickshire. So the two of us and Benke kind of took us under his wing and let us grow into the into the team and gave us the opportunity without too much pressure. And then as time went on, he obviously then became the batting coach with the Proteas. So Tim Schoenefeld took over. But Benke was always still there and still giving us guidance, basically guiding us, giving us whatever we needed. And I think having someone that had played at his level, but then also was coaching the Proteas and in and around the international environment, the info which he was able to pass on to myself as an individual but as a team was massive um and i think we can see a few years that he's spent at holton a lot of us have gone on to um semi-pro pro or 
the form of international cricket. So there's a lot that he's done for both myself, but for Hilton as a as a cricket um, school. I know when back at the very start, you said you came over to England in 2021. You thought you'd give cricket a crack with Hampshire, hoped it works out for the best. But probably not even you could have thought of your rise over the last 12 months. You made your T20 debut for Hampshire this summer. And now you're going to the England tour, the West Indies. You've been signed for the SA. Can you just, is it a yourself moment for you? Massively. Um, it's still a pinch myself moment. I was washing my England training kit yesterday and that was kind of surreal, which sounds really weird. But yeah, I made my debut obviously June or July. But my goal for this season was to play a game or play a game in the Champo stuff. So for this all to happen as quickly as it's happened has been ridiculous, really. And as you said, I don't think anyone could have seen it uh, coming. But I still don't think I've really understood it, to be honest, and like come to terms with it. I'm just trying to kind of enjoy it and take every day as it comes. But it's a ma- definitely a pinch, pinch myself moment still. And John, you go, you know, the timeline of you going to the Caribbean, it's a great trip. It's one of the best trips of of all time. And you go at a time where it's exciting for English cricket because you're going to be part of this new modern generation of the next cycle, Champions Trophy, and leading into the 2027 World Cup. Um, I know there's some big hitting players gone, but there's some there's still some stellar names to go out there. But first of all, you're going to go to the UAE, and and that in itself is is a big trip for you because of hitting the ground running when you get to the Caribbean. Bowling, it's not exactly bowling weather in Hampshire at the minute, let alone where I am in the northeast of England. Yeah, I think that the UAE is going to put me in like best position possible to do well, obviously in the Caribbean. I think it's more Red Bull specific training camp, but we're obviously going to have to find some time to do white ball stuff. But I think just being in a different environment with the Lions group and being able to pick some brains of the coaching staff and um, some of the other players who I think all are more experienced than myself, um, which isn't very hard to be honest <laughs> at the moment. But yeah, so that, that'll be a good two weeks. And then obviously going to the Caribbean is going to be unbelievable. I've heard a hell of a lot about it from a lot of different people. And as you said, it sounds like an unbelievable tour to be a part of. And the beaches, weather, and cricket will should all be unbelievable. And the, 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 you talk about the coaching staff that's going. Neil Colleen, who Neil Bankenstein knows very, very well from Durham days. I think he's leading the trip over there. Andrew Flintoff, obviously one of my best mates, and Graham Swan, um, players who have who have been there and, and 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 done really, really well. Not only in the Caribbean, as I have, but in in an England shirt. What's uh, what are you looking for when you go out there to? spend time with these guys because I know you said it's right red ball dominated, but as a fast bowler myself, um, if you're gonna bowl quickly, it doesn't matter whether it's a red ball or a white ball, it's about you know getting making sure when you get to that first game, you're in you're in decent shape and in decent nick to let the thing go. Yeah, exactly. I think um I met Freddie Fentoff for the first time last week up at Loughborough and that was quite a surreal moment. Worked you should have got a room with him for 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, worked worked with Swanny um, at the Trent Rockets. And yeah, he's he's got a ridiculous amount of energy. But the stories and that he's able to um, give and basically the info that he shares with me, um, I really enjoyed working with him. And 
obviously Neil Colleen haven't worked with him before. Um, so excited for that. But yeah, as you said, I think just picking their brains, um, seeing what's worked for them, what they've done and also what hasn't worked for them in their, in their careers, I suppose, just to try get the best foot going into the Caribbean. Yeah, John, your career so far has just gone up and up and up and up. So is there an acceptance or uh, in, in the back of your mind thinking you're only 22, there are going to be days where you don't get naught for 40 in a T20 over game or something like that. So how are you preparing for those setbacks or are you just riding that wave of positivity at the moment and trying to stay on that for as long as possible? I think I'm trying to just ride that wave of positivity, yeah. to be honest. I had drinks with a mate last night and... She was asking me, am I nervous? And like all of that. And like, well, can it go wrong? And it can go seriously wrong. And I think particularly the position I'm in being very inexperienced and no one really knowing who I am. England have kind of taken a bit of a punch with me at the moment. So if it goes wrong, it could look really stupid. But I think I'm just trying to, I'm not really looking at that or worrying about that, to be honest. So far, it's been really exciting and really positive. So I think if I'd just carry on riding that wave. Um, hopefully it continues for as long as it can, but there will obviously be a stage where something doesn't go my way and I'm watching the ball fly to all corners of the field. But yeah, hopefully that's not in the Caribbean. Even when it's flying to all corners of the of the field, it doesn't really matter. You're playing for England, you're out there. And, the, and that's what you you believe that you're you're the best at. And you've been awarded a, you know, a, a development contract. So the ECBC a lot, of time and future and in your development and going and not only beyond this year but beyond you know and trying to you know make that pool of fast bowlers which I think is is diminishing a little bit because obviously Joffre's got a little bit of a setback. Uh, Mark Wood, 33 now been offered a three year contract, you know, and Josh Tom who hasn't you know, he he bowled really well when he when he got into the side. Does it does it encourage you that Pierce is the, the key, the key component in a lot of international teams, and you have it in abundance. And is it something that you know, excites you to be, you know, to bowl as fast as you possibly can to make sure that when England are picking sides, when you look at the traditional England seamer that swings it away and nips it back, and all the stuff that goes, every team needs a Pierce bowler. So is that something you you constantly drive you drive yourself for that you, you're bowling as fast as you possibly can to give yourself. You know, the chance to elevate yourself ahead of a lot of people who are probably more experienced than you, but hasn't got that dynamic of yeah. Uh Yeah, I think massively. I think I've realized in the past few months that pace is my differential to everyone, well, to most people. So trying to harness that and utilize that as my strength. And then at the same time, if I can get a bit faster, but just get better as well. I think it was probably this time last year but I decided I wanted to train to bowl fast. And I think when I initially came over, it was always, you've got to bowl the right line and length. And I've, I'm naturally always a bit shorter, but after two years of doing that, I realized I actually want to bowl fast at the same time. And it seemed to work so far. So I think being given the confidence by the ECB um, backing me and giving me that development contract obviously gives me a lot of confidence and kind of, gives me, uh, I kind of feel like I can go out and do it. Um, I mean, being, being around the guys at Loughborough, um, I felt really comfortable, didn't feel like out of place or anything. So I do feel like I'm in a good place going into it and obviously being able to find as far as I can. 
but yeah. John, just finally for me, I know it's not happened yet, but hopefully you make your debut in the Caribbean. What's it going to mean to receive that England cap? What are the emotions if you are awarded it over in the Caribbean? I think it will obviously be an, an extremely emotional day um, if I if I do receive that. Playing international cricket is the pinnacle um, of the game. So to be able to do that for England is, is an unbelievable achievement and something I really... Um, really look forward to hopefully doing soon. So I think it'll be an unbelievable day and just to try and enjoy enjoy it as much as I can and soak it up as much as I can. Um and obviously not put too much pressure on myself. But yeah, just live in the moment while that happens and enjoy it. That was John Turner. Uh, having a chat to us a little earlier, you're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, alongside former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. Next up, we'll look ahead to uh, this week's Cricket World Cup semi-finals. We'll get the thoughts of former South African all-rounder Sean Pollock. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash acast. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And if you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed. Now available, as always, via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, time now uh, to hear from uh, former South African legend, Sean Pollock. He spoke to me a little earlier during uh, the Proteas final group game against Afghanistan in uh, Ahmedabad on Friday. He's happy for South Africa to carry on flying under the radar. And he says that the players are as well, after uh, being thrashed by India, they bounce back with a win against Afghanistan. But still, nobody is really tipping them uh, as title contenders. I think the confidence you get from playing well definitely will play a part. But that's what you want, don't you? You want both teams to be feeling like they can go all the way and that they can win the match. So as far as the semi goes, let them be the favourites. Um, you know, Let them be full of momentum, which they've got. I mean, they've played brilliantly to win seven in a row. 
and they've they've definitely struck up a better balance and they'll be feeling better about the games even compared to when they played in South Africa and when we met them in the tournament so they probably would have that but it doesn't count for much mentally you try and convince yourself of that just to make sure that you're feeling good about your performance but at the end of the day it doesn't really count for anything Glenn Maxwell your thoughts unbelievable wasn't it it was almost I was trying to think of an analogy it was almost like a snake charmer where <laughs> Afghanistan was just caught in a, in a in a daze and they were being completely mesmerised by what was going on I mean to be able to knock that off even the clarity from their side Australia's side to just stay one side for three or four overs to make sure that the cramp started to go was was brilliant and um I'm glad it actually ended up being in a victory because can you imagine if an innings like that had gone down and he hadn't won it? So, yeah, it was was brilliant to watch on the TV um, and hopefully nothing like that presents itself in the semi. As far as team composition is concerned, Australia have had to mix and match. Mitch Marsh has gone home to pay his last respects to his grandfather. Maxwell was injured. Stoyness has been injured. You know, the, the middle order has had to go a little bit of jiggling. South Africa have been same team, same team, which is, they have a history of doing. Does one favour, is one, is one better option over the other? Well, India's been the same side, really, for the bulk of the back end of their tournament, and besides the injuries that happen. Yeah, I don't think it's a problem. It just does give your team versatility if you have the force chasers and you end up winning and then knowing that different people can come in and fill those roles. But, I mean, you wouldn't want to change the top six for South Africa the way they've batted. Janssen at seven has been great. And then it's just been down to the options. So everyone in the squad's had a, a go now that Dendele is playing today. And I was actually even more interested to see with Lungia. I mean, as soon as he goes off holding his Achilles tendon like that, you start to think, like, OK, well, maybe that's his tournament done, so who comes in? And me and Pommy were discussing it and saying probably Bjorn Fontaine would have been the best replacement, knowing that we're going back to Kolkata. And if that we do get through, there's a good chance you face India. And what surface you'll get in the final would be spin-friendly as well. So, yeah, I mean, you have to think on your feet a little bit to adapt. But I do think the advantage for South Africa is that they've played on that Calcutta surface. And no matter what you say or how you try and prepare, until you actually walk out there and have to face deliveries or bowl in it or bat in it, you can't fully comprehend what that surface is going to do if it's the same kind of pitch. So I think it does give them a really good understanding. They were steamrolled and they were left licking their wounds after the Indian game. But they will be better prepared next time knowing exactly what's going to happen. And finally, a thought on the other semi-final. Four years ago, New Zealand limped into fourth place, faced a, a not quite a rampant India, but certainly a, an informed India, and won it. At this time, they really have limped into fourth place against a really rampant India. It's funny how fate has come full circle. It has, and I mean, even about probably two or three weeks back, you know, you're speaking to some of the guys, whether it be Harsher or, or some of the guys in the back room here, and they're all going about, oh, New Zealand, New Zealand, because I think it's the T20 World Cup, they might have been elimination by New Zealand there as well so it's kind of a side that they've got a bit of a reputation for knocking them out of the tournament. I think it's going to be a good encounter. I think that service in Mumbai favours certain teams um, I think it favours uh, New Zealand more than the Kolkata surface would have if they'd had to play their semi there and they've got a couple of bowlers like Trent Bolt who's been an RPL player for the Mumbai Indians, he knows how to operate there. Santner I think is bowling nicely and yeah, I think it's going to be a close forward encounter. Uh, you know, I would expect India to win the way they've played, and I think their bowling in particular has been formidable. So they definitely do go in the favourites. But as we say, you know, you win 
10, 9 games on the trot and it means nothing. You've got to now rock up. It's a bit like the Olympics, right? So you can have an unbelievable heat. But unless you produce it in the semi-final and final, which South Africa has found out over the years, it doesn't count for anything. Even if you're not a superstitious player, do you start thinking, we've won nine in a row? <laughs> not even if he's not a superstitious, just a normal individual thinks, surely, surely we can't win nine and then have a bad game. Or surely we can't win nine and then in the semi-final get knocked out. And you just go to the ground with the element of, of hope. You do your normal preparation. You'll be sticking to your game plans, trying to stick to your thought processes. But your mind will take you there. It's, you can't help it, thinking... And especially if things don't go according to plan. Um, you think of surely. Surely this can't be where we're knocked out. And the pressure too. I mean, India have an unbelievable side for a long period of time and haven't been able to get over the line in ICC events and in the last, since the last World Cup that they won, or maybe the Champions Trophy as well. But they would have expected to win more than they have over the last 10 years. So they'll be understanding that this is it. You now have to produce. And the way they're playing, you would expect them to do so. But semi-finals, you never know. That was Sean Pollock talking to me uh, a couple of days ago. Harmi, I have never seen a result so clearly in my mind as I do Wednesday's semi-final at the Wankity Stadium in Mumbai. I cannot get rid of the image in my head of New Zealand batting first, finding a way to put 300 on the board, as they always do. Ratchin Ravindra has... Uh, Stolen the headlights and the spotlight, of course, with his uh, three centuries. But honestly, I, I see New Zealand batting first, putting 300 on the board, and Trent Bolt taking two or three power play wickets, putting that Indian team under pressure for the first time in the tournament. And part of me thinks, well, you know, not many teams win 10 in a row in ODI cricket. But it's I don't know why. I, I just see this... New Zealand, who with a 5-4 record in the group games, I see them winning. I see them beating India. And I hope them, I, I wish them safe passage out of the country if they do. Yeah, safe passage out of the country. Do you know what, man, as I've been thinking exactly the same. I've been thinking exactly the same. The one team for the last two weeks, the one team India don't want to finish fourth is New Zealand because they're starting <laughs> to get fit. They're all fit. They're all starting to fire. Gain's back. You know, but Bolt's got power player wickets now. Um, Southeast back in. I'm sure Robert Sharma's going. Come on, Pakistan! Come on, Pakistan! <laughs> because that would have been that would have been the semi-final that probably India didn't, the country didn't want, but the players probably wanted. They didn't want India. India win the final comfortably. Uh, the final would be non-event. If it, well, I think England, uh, India playing Australia and, and South Africa, I think they'll blow them away. I don't think they'll blow uh, New Zealand away. And I've been saying for the last sort of week or so that especially out in India when I was working out there, was that this is the one team they didn't want to face. And especially the way they're playing now, they're just coming into peak form and haven't been tested, you know, get runs on the board. And that that 10 overs, just in just as it goes dark, that first 10 overs of the second innings, especially the one carry when the ball's got a bit on it, a, a bit more off the pitch. I think India would rather play New Zealand in Kolkata than play them in the one carry because... The ball would have sat in the pitch, more comfortable Indian surfaces. This would be a belter at, uh, in Mumbai. And I think because of that, New Zealand will get a score if they bat first. New Zealand, I mean, India will want to chase. Because, you know, Virat Kohli's record chasing is ridiculous, averaging over 90. So I would imagine India would want to chase. But I tell you what, if they bat 50 overs, India, 
them first 10 overs, that could be the difference between nobody in Ahmedabad for the final or 130,000 people in Ahmedabad for the final because I think that would be the game. Um, and it's going to be great to see. I'm really looking forward to the. Uh, as much as I've enjoyed the way South Africa bashed it and, you know, Maxwell has on one leg, on no legs, but, you know, I've got Australia over the line. I, I can see that being a good game, but it's not a game I'm, you know, going to race the telly to watch. I'm desperately going to do everything I possibly can to watch that India-New Zealand semi-final because I'm like you, man. It's got a funny feeling India are going to get beat. And I think New Zealand are going to go on and they might, I think they might go on and win it, but it'll be a closer game if they play South Africa or Australia. But I, I just got that sneaky feeling that it isn't going to be 10 in the row and Kohli's not going to get that 50th century and India are not going to lift the World Cup in their back garden because of what it, what New Zealand bring to offer. Bolt's playing at his home, IPL home in, in Mumbai, um, knows the, the, the surface and the conditions. He hadn't had too many. He had two power play wickets up until the last game and gets three for 30, gets man uh, player of the match. Everything's aligning for New Zealand to come good just at the right, uh, at the last at the last fence. And um, look, the South Africa, I think South Africa is going to be, they're going to have to pick themselves up because they're, they're struggling at the minute. And Australia have sort of, I wouldn't say they've fudged their way because they've played some, they have played some good cricket. But it seems that one man is winning games for them. It's not a collective unit that's winning games. Warner got 160. You know, Maxwell got 100 off 40 balls. Yeah, he got a double 100. Mitch Marsh got 170. You can say it just takes one man to win the game. But if that no man stands up, you're, you're, 97, you're 91 for seven against Afghanistan. So I think that, that South Africa have got to fancy their chances to beat, to beat Australia. Okay, so you're going New Zealand against South Africa final? I'm, I'm going, I, I would love to see a New Zealand South Africa final. That's yeah. me heart, but me head saying India Australia because of the history of these teams in competitions and the way things are go, that everything has to go well for New Zealand to beat India. But me, me sort of head's telling me that India are going to be get to the final and, and probably Australia as well. Their big game temperament might just stand them in good stead against against South Africa. I hope South Africa do it because I would really like to see South Africa get to the final because they have played some, they've had a plan, they've executed the plan well in majority of the games they've played. They've had a method and a way and I would love to see your boys get to the uh, final and you, you be there, man, as it, hopefully to get the, the sort of monkey off the back and South Africa become a team that have gone close and you know, potentially going to win a, a World Cup final. I'd like to see them do it, but I've just got a funny feeling Australia's big game temperament, their brashness, arrogance, whatever you want to put it, that might just steamroll a run over the, uh, the, the Springbok. A final word about big match temperament and about South Africa's record in World Cups and in knockout games. Six knockout games, four semifinals, two quarterfinals. They've won one of them. They've won a quarterfinal. They've lost four semifinals, two of them to Australia. And people joke, make facetious comments about there being this somehow <laughs> inherited gene for choking, in, you know, that that transcends generations of South African mm. players. Like, how can how can they have choked in in two thousand and seven, and in two thousand and three, nineteen ninety nine? Let's go back there to that semi final. You know, the, so how how is it that 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 generation after generation appear to have inherited this choking gene? See, the thing is, Hami, 
I mean, obviously that is facetious, and it's not, you know, it's it's not a thing. But talking to Rusty von der Dessen a couple of days ago, and he was saying that this team and him are, you know, it's not the record has got nothing to do with him or the South African mm. players, and you know they're different players and and they don't have any scar tissue. And but he then went on to say. In 1999, I was 10 years old and I just finished school on a Saturday morning. And he remembered exactly yeah. what, where he was watching that 99 semi final when Lance Flusner, Alan Donald, was run out and dropped his bat. And then he remembered where they were when they lost the quarterfinal to New Zealand in 2011. And it's the same for all the players. They all watched, they all have imbibed that experience into themselves. And so. It is a thing. It is a thing. And as much as they say it's not a thing, we're a different team. We didn't choke. They all watched the, every experience that went wrong for South Africa. Yeah, they all watched. They all knew where they were. And they've all been told by either former players, pundits or alike that this is this is on you. So, yeah, it's, a, it's you know, the likes of Rassi Vendors, doesn't it? It's the, to, them to take responsibility to... To say to get it off their back and go into what is potentially a, an unbelievable occasion in a final, the worry for me for South Africa is if they don't bat first. If they don't bat first, they're they're a shadow of a team. They're a potential winning team batting first. You know they've got no chance if they bat second. So it just seems as though it, it goes off a toss of a coin. You can see, you can probably see Temba Vavuma's face if he loses a toss in the semi final. There's so much riding on South Africa batting first. And I don't know why that is. You know, and that gives you a little indication that mentally they're not the strongest team, which then gives you the indication that if you are going to go on history, and you've got you've got to look when you look at history, whenever I look at history and look at things like what happened in South Africa, yeah, the, the teams that got beat off, Australia, they got beat off Australia four times in knockout stages. You know, I played during that generation and they're not the Australian side for 20 odd years was the best, arguably the best side of all time. There's always the argument that the West Indies didn't need a spinner with their four fast bowlers they had during their generation. And for me, Australia were the best side of all time because they, they had the best cricketer of all time, and that's Shane, Shane Warne. They played against Australia with you know, whatever you want to say. You know, whatever arrogance, brashness, you know, Australia were an unbelievable cricket team. And... South Africa fell short on more than one occasion, on four occasions. But I think they've got a chance. You bet. I think they've got a great chance of beating Australia, especially if they bat first. What Maxwell did was was a freak of nature. Marsh has just done 170. They've got players that can score score big. But what I would say about Australia is they're not clicking as a as a unit. If they click as a unit, they've got a good chance of going beating India. But they're just not clicking as a unit. All eleven players playing together at one time, playing well. So. I think that's where South Africa have their chance. But boy, do they have to bat first. If they get 300 plus on the board, they've got a great chance. Yep, they do have to bat first. I completely agree with that. You're <laughs> listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Menthorpe, alongside former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the brand new TalkSport Cricket YouTube channel where this week we feature an exclusive interview with England legend Stuart Broad. But uh, we're turning our attention to Sri Lanka now. Sri Lankan cricket have been suspended with immediate effect because of uh, government interference in the board's administration and uh, the constitution of the RCC states explicitly that uh, the governing bodies of their members 
should be autonomous and and self-ruling. So uh, Rex Clementine, um, cricket writer for the Island newspaper and a friend of mine for many, many years, joins us now, I'm delighted to say, from Colombo, to tell us what on earth is going on. Rex, I mean, the only other country to have been suspended by the ICC is Zimbabwe, and it cost them a place uh, in a World Cup. So uh, what's happening? Please explain. Yeah, I think uh, what happened was uh, there was a forensic audit uh, done by the Auditor General's Department uh, on uh, the spendings of uh, the cricket board sometime back. And, uh, you know, I mean, um, that audit report, forensic audit report, found a lot of irregularities with, you know, payments and, you know, I mean, uh, how they've been spending money and stuff like that. So there's been a lot of public opinion uh, to take some action. And, you know, I mean, with the team not doing uh, too well, the authorities have been sort of under tremendous pressure to sort of, you know, I mean, uh, do some, um, uh, take some action. And uh, they did this, uh, they sacked the board. But then, you know, I mean, uh, the ICC uh, came back and said, uh, look, folks, you can't be doing this. The elected body has got to continue. And, you know, I mean, if they've uh, done anything wrong, there are ways and means to get there rather than, you know, I mean, completely sacking the board. So that's the long and short of it, uh, Neil. Rex, is it is it a, a very, very good calculated move by the Sri Lankan Cricket Board to go to the ICC and go, please ban us, and then we can get these off our back? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's silly. I mean, uh, basically, you know, I mean, uh, there's a lot of uh, politics going on uh, inside the cricket administration. So the executive committee, you know, I mean, uh, told the ICC, please ban us. And uh, it's, it's a very tricky situation now. As you know that, you know, I mean, Sri Lanka was supposed to host the uh, under-19 World Cup uh, next year. And then obviously, you know, I mean, now with this ban, uh, the ICC money that's supposed to come to the board uh, will be held up as well. So there's a lot of uh, issues going on at the moment. The government is pretty adamant that they want to uh, get rid of this administration. The administration is pretty adamant that they won't uh, go down without a fight. So, yeah, it's all happening uh, back in Colombo. I didn't realise, Rex, that uh, that this was due to financial irregularities. Now, obviously, um, having lived and worked in South Africa for, for many years, this is a subject of which I am familiar. Yeah. So basically, you know, I mean, to give you an idea, what happened was the Sri Lankan board was supposed to uh, get some uh, television revenue from an Indian company. So an email went from um, one of the accounts, email accounts uh, of board officials, asking them to, uh, the television company, to transfer money to a bank account uh, that is uh, based overseas. And, um, you know, I mean, that's obviously, uh, that's an account that's not belonging to the cricket board. So that's the main issue here. And subsequent to that, you know, I mean, there have been a few issues, uh, like, you know, I mean, the way how they spent uh, money on uh, during the last uh, T20 World Cup by taking on various officials. There are Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
it. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You know, I mean, question marks uh, with those stuff. But the main thing is, uh, you know, I mean, how an instruction went uh, to the Indian company to pay an overseas bank uh, to an account uh, that's actually not owned by uh, the board. So that's the long and short of it. Uh, short of it, means. Um, on the field, it was a disappointing World Cup campaign. I- I'm still, in the back of my mind, still digesting the fact that uh, this this is a financial scandal. I, my naivety didn't allow me to even think about that. I thought this was based on um, interference uh, but because of what was happening on the field. So disappointing World Cup. But um, you were there. You, you There were highlights, obviously, for Sri Lanka. There were some, some good moments. Um, how's Chris Silverwood doing? Let's concentrate on the field for the moment. Chris Silverwood is a very nice man. And uh, obviously, if you see, one of the areas that has developed since he took over was fast bowling. You know, I mean, quite a few fast bowlers have come through and he's worked with those fast bowlers and the results are there to be seen. We we, we, we witnessed uh, how good Vishan Madhushanka was by the time he ended the competition. He was the tournament's highest wicket taker. Silhoud has obviously done uh, quite a bit of uh, work with uh, him. And then there are guys like, you know, Lair Kumar and uh, Dushman Chamira. Although, you know, I mean, injuries uh, didn't uh, allow them to show their full potential. Then there's Asita Fernando, Vishwa Fernando. Lots of good work that he's done with the fast bowlers and... Um, there's a lot of talk that, you know, I mean, the coaching uh, staff will be sort of removed. I think one guy will probably survive, uh, will be Chris Silverwood. And what about, you know, the you know, manager talks about the highlights and, you know, you've got to put in perspective of the injuries that, that came with with the uh, with the tournament. And I think they only used 18, 19 players. But where do they go forward? Do they keep going forward with the youngsters? Because they've made a conscious effort. Rex, to go away from the experienced players. I only brought Angelo back right at the last minute in the middle of a tournament. Not having Champions Trophy is a blow because that plan seems to now go out the window because you haven't got that long-term goal of we're building for two years' time and, and, and sticking with these youngsters. Can you see Schlanke going back to some more experienced players? Or do you see, even if with Crystal Wood, if he does get removed, they steer with you know, these younger players and somehow find a captain because Mendes didn't do a great job when he was when he was captain and he was there, the heir apparent. So do you see an older player coming in to lead Sri Lanka with some of the youngsters? Yeah, I mean, Z, Sri Lanka got a few things wrong. One of the things was that, you know, I mean, they launched on this youth policy about three years ago and uh, sidelined half a dozen seniors, if I can, you know, I mean, recall some of the names. Dinesh Chandimal, Angelo Matthews, Tisela Pereira, Suranga Lakmal. These guys still had quite a bit of uh, cricket left in them. Tisela Pereira, when he was sidelined, he was 32 years old. You know, I mean, they are now struggling to, you know, find an all-rounder who will be sort of uh, able to fill uh, his shoes. So, I mean, as Kumar Sangakkar has uh, mentioned, Angelo Matthews should have been there right from the start uh, of the tournament. And uh, I guess, you know, I mean, so are the, some of the other seniors like uh, Chandimal and uh, even uh, Tisela Pereira. So, once, you know, I mean, they decided on that, uh, you know, they'll be persevering with the youth policy. Uh, they did say that, you know, I mean, uh, maybe, you know, I mean, if there is a 
opportunity for some of the seniors to come back they will uh, let that happen but they were pretty adamant that they wanted to pursue with the uh, younger guys and uh, eventually you know i mean you 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 really felt that uh, they lacked the experience uh, when uh, some of the crunch moments happened for example the game against pakistan in uh, in hyderabad uh, sri lanka scored pretty heavy but still you know i mean pakistan ended up uh, chasing down the target the highest, highest uh, run chase ever in uh, world cup cricket with bit of experience obviously matthews didn't play that game uh, he was not part of the squad in that game uh, by that time bit of experience they could have you know i mean uh, pulled uh, things off and also you know i mean picking a captain who was not performing in dasun chanaka i think that was a wrong move as well they persevered with him uh, for too long obviously there are no doubts about uh, his credentials when it comes to t20 cricket but there are big question marks uh, you know when it comes to odi cricket also you know i mean the other fact is that i like to mention last year you see sri lanka beat uh, australia in an odi series at o those were on doctored wickets wickets that were turning square so you know i mean everything everyone was sort of pretty happy and you know i mean saying okay our cricket is back on track but when you go to icc events where the wickets are flat you know i mean you are truly exposed and the bowlers that you have picked have no idea how to go about things on those flat tracks so that's something that you know i mean authorities need to keep in mind to prepare good wickets for international matches and back to uh, the hot topic then i'm assuming that uh, sri lankan cricket will will find the money and uh, and this will be sorted out and the icc suspension will be lifted uh, i hope that is the case but the suspension only affects icc events right um not bilateral cricket so you will still be accompanying the team for three test matches to england in the summer will you yeah i'm really looking forward to it it's been a while since we played a t- three test matches uh, three test series in england i think the last was 2011 since then you know I mean, it's been all two, te- two test match series and also you know i mean the most important thing is uh, there's going to be a test match at the oval this time around there's not been a test match for sri lanka at the oval since 1998 when we beat england uh, by 10 wickets so yeah very much look forward to and uh, that's certainly a trip that uh, that's on my uh, bucket list Murray beat England. I was going to say that that wasn't at the Oval. That that pitch was transported from Colombo. Never mind at, at the Oval. That was a shocker. He got sixteen. He got sixteen wickets. It was embarrassing the pitch, the Oval that day. So, uh, Rex, just just from finally from me, who's going to win here, the government or the board? Uh, I think uh, the board's uh, made a big mistake by taking on uh, the government because you see the matter is fact of the matter is there's a lot of public opinion that these guys have mismanaged uh, the sport so you know i mean when you are taking on uh, when you have you know i mean not done the right things for the game to prosper and when the government wants you to resign for hanging on and creating all sorts of trouble i think it's, it's, it's not many people been by taking on the government and i think the board will eventually Uh, step down and uh, let the government have their way, and uh, probably they'll ask the ICC to take off the ban as well. Because there's so much of uh, public anger at the moment. Uh, the board officials are so much under pressure. The secretary has already already resigned. I guess you know. I mean, within the next forty eight hours or so, the others will follow suit. And Rex, finally from me, I I have to ask you. I've run out of time, but I have to ask you about Angelo Matthews timed out against Bangladesh. Please give us your thoughts. Huh. I mean, you know, as Angelo said at the press conference, only Bangladesh could do that. You know, I mean, it was like shocker. It took us. I was in Delhi for that game. It took us, you know, I mean, a couple of minutes to figure out what what exactly was going on. You know, I mean, never seen something like that uh, ever. In, uh, I mean, the game has never seen something of that sort. And I thought, you know, I mean, it's really disgraceful behavior by the Bangladeshi boys. Having said that, 
uh, I thought the Sri Lankans themselves let themselves down. Sri Lanka is a country that's won two World Cups and uh, reached the finals of two other World Cups. And I'm not, not sure, you know, I mean, what exactly has Bangladesh uh, achieved. The Sri Lankan players, by refusing to shake hands with the opposition, I think they themselves hurt the good name of Sri Lankan cricket. I think that shouldn't have happened. And uh, you should have uh, pride about uh, your country, about what your countrymen have achieved. They should have gone after the game, uh, whatever that had happened uh, previously. Should have forgotten that and gone ahead and uh, shaken hands. What I'm, what I'm really disappointed is, I mean, people can say that, you know, I mean, it happened spur of the moment and stuff. Still, people are saying that, you know, I mean, uh, they don't regret uh, what happened. That's not on. And that's not uh, the way Sri Lankans have played cricket. You, you, you know, I mean, Marvanath Patu, former Sri Lankan captain, uh, he recalled Andrew Simons once after he was uh, he was given out wrongly in 2004. Then you have Maya Jawardena in 2007. You know the fiasco, Neil, like the World Cup final in Barbados. Whatever happened, he gracefully came down and, you know, I mean, battled out uh, the few overs remaining, you know, I mean, saving the tournament from absolute disgrace. So, you know, I mean, when you have produced captains like that, what was happening in Delhi on that night was not simply on. I'm sorry about it. Well said, Rex Clementine. Thank you so much for your time. What an absolute joy to have you on. But it won't be so long next time before we chat to you again. Thanks for your time. No worries, mate. Most welcome. That was Rex Clementine, cricket writer for the Ireland newspaper. Okay, running out of time very rapidly. Um, We'll pay a proper tribute to Meg Lanning, I think, uh, in the weeks to come when we've got a little bit more time. But uh, one of the great players of all time. She played made 100 in her second game against England at the age of 18. The youngest batter, male or female, to have scored an international 100. At 19, she scored a 45-ball 100 in ODI cricket against New Zealand. She became captain of Australia at 21, also the youngest ever to be appointed to that position. In 103 ODIs, she averaged 53.5 with 1,500s. Meg Lanning has retired at the age of uh, 31 and um, Australians, uh, uh, well, I mean, she's been touted as Australian of the Year, Harmi. Um, really one of the great, great players. Yeah, uh, unbelievable career. Not only a player, but I think a character for the game. She played the game so well. Talked about the game very, very well. Very quiet in in the way the manner, the way she speaks as well. So a press conference was 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 brilliant. It wasn't over the top. Somebody who had such an unbelievable, who has got unbelievable numbers, the numbers that she's had over her career just stack up with anybody in the game, whether it's male or female, probably supersedes quite a few. So, you know, to go out, people will real, you know, raise an eyebrow at 31, but she's been playing for so long because, you know, she came in the game so young in her, in her life that, you know, it, it, you only have so many years you can play the game, the body allows it. So, congratulations. It's been a wonderful career. And, 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 and cricket's a, you know, a less game without Meg Lanning in it because you know she has been a, a real beacon in the women's game for you know for for everybody around the world. Okay, final word this week, I think should go to you. I want to know what you think of Angelo Matthews's time out. I couldn't stop laughing. I really couldn't. And Angelo Matthews, to be fair, I was on the game and I was like sitting in the studio. I was on with Favi's Maruf, and we were like, he's appealed. I mean, I couldn't stop laughing. I'm going, he's appealed. And it was brilliant because I'm watching Chucky Balassan go, I was at, and then him then go up to Angelo Matthews, who, when the umpires went up to Matthews, he's wetting himself laughing. He's like, starts laughing. Then the dawn's on him that, this is serious. They're going to rub, they're going to tie me out. It just looked, it was so bizarre. It was like a comedy sketch. 
And then Matthews has gone over and Chucky Balasan, no, 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 I'm going with I'm going with the umpire's decision. I'm sticking with the umpire's decision here, as to say, yeah, whatever the umpire says is is final. And I respect that, having kicked over the stumps in a domestic game for not getting an LBW. We will not go there with Shaki Balasan. I thought it was just bizarre. And I thought it was wrong for the game. It really was. Uh, Alan Donald summed it up brilliantly after the after the, the, the two days after. He'd not Bangladeshi. He's not got any connection to the players other than he's been coaching them. And he even said, he said it was wrong as well. And he he, he felt like walking on a pitch. So I just think it was something the game didn't need it. It, it really didn't. You look at someone like Collie. Collie's had to own the, the, the Grant Elliott, the run out where when he ran in the right side bottom. And whenever Collie speaks about it, he always says at the time, I thought it was the right thing. But afterwards, I, I hugely regret it. And even now I regret it. And he tried to go into the New Zealand dressing room. So for Shaki Balasan to come out and say, it was in the rules. I've got no problem with it. It was war. I'm like, no, Matt. No, you've got it horribly, horribly wrong. So I thought the game was not tarnished because it's sometimes expected. But it was just common sense. Just let him get on with the game. Worse than the mancad. Oh, yes. Yes, the game has a pace of play problem, but that is not the solution. There's a reason it hasn't been enforced for 150 years of international cricket. You've been listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. Uh, and if you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, now available as always, via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we'll be back at the same time next week to look back at the World Cup final. But for now, this has been the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. Mm-hmm.